Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message. Well, we're looking at the great ends of the church. And great end of the church, one of the great ends of the church that we're looking at this morning is the preservation of truth. And, you know, it's interesting that truth is one of those things that is always up to question. Remember, it was Pilate who said, what is truth? Colonel Jessup that yelled out, you can't handle the truth. And, and we have this phrase, well, whatever is your truth? As if each of us can define reality for ourselves. And um, it's, it's a kind of a wild, crazy topic. But it's, it's interesting because the story of Moses is punctuated by his struggle, ongoing struggle with falsehood. Isn't it wild that he's up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments, truth, ready to bring them down. And when he comes down, there are the people dancing around a golden calf. They've been deceived. They have left the truth for a lie, which is simply made up stuff. And we're reminded by the book of Proverbs that that the reality of human life is such that there are three kinds of people. There are the evil, the foolish, and the good. Most of us fall in the middle. (laughs) Most of us fall in that place of foolishness. And yet, the real concern is that we discipline ourselves for goodness, but we can be enticed or recruited into evil. And if we've learned anything from the 20th century, we've learned that we can be enticed or recruited into evil. If we've learned anything from the the shootings that go on uh, against kids in our schools, it is that people can be enticed or recruited into evil. And so the Apostle Paul, in writing to his young understudy Timothy toward the end of his life, is very intent upon his responsibility as a pastor of the church to preserve the truth, to maintain the truth. I've expanded somewhat from what is written in your bulletin, but I'm going to start by reading from the third chapter of 2 Timothy. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times, for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. 
Evil people and imposters will flourish. They will deceive others and will themselves be deceived. But you must remain faithful to things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have been given you as they, they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he appears to set up his kingdom, preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. And they will reject the truth and chase after myths. May God add his understanding to this hearing of his word. So one of the oldest professors at Princeton Theological Seminary, toward the end of the semester, at the end of his lecture, stepped out from this huge lectern in Stewart Hall on the seminary campus, and he put his right hand on the lectern, looked out at us, and said, preach the word, preach the word, preach the word. And then we went to lunch sat around those round tables in the dining hall. And of course we had to argue, because that's what you do in seminary, around those round tables. You argue about everything. But that one was pretty tough to contend with. Because it is about the Word, the Word incarnate, and the Word written that points to the Word incarnate. And it's not about us. It's not about the pastor, the preacher. The Apostle Paul says, I passed on that which I have received. And that's what we do. God willing, we don't mess with it. We don't alloy it with our own opinions. We simply subject ourselves, for we are under the word. Under the word. And... The contrary to that is all kinds of stuff. And you know what it is. We hear it all the time in our culture. And the, the talk of and, and the, the resistance to Christian faith these days is really quite intense. And it seems that our culture is kind of coming apart. And for one to be openly Christian is becoming something of a scandal. Again, 
It's been that way many times in history. It's been that way many times in various cultures. But that is what we are to be. We are to be Christians. We are to preserve the truth that God has shared with us in his son and, and to act out that truth. Taking our lead not from our culture. Our culture is going to tell us all kinds of things and the input of information, false and true or otherwise, is overwhelming. So how critical is it, except in these days, that we simply read our Bibles? That we be in fellowship with one another? That our discussions might descend below that of mere politics and go to the depths of philosophy and theology that inform how we form our opinions. Thirteen years ago this past week, a man walked into an Amish elementary school and middle school and told all of the boys to get out of the class, told the teacher to get out, and he did so armed with a shotgun and a pistol. And there were nine girls that he lined up against a chalkboard. And one of those little girls, 13-year-old Marion Fisher, now these are Amish. They don't watch TV, they don't listen to the radio, they're Amish. They're separated, they're, they're in a kind of a cultural bubble that has protected them from the 21st century. And she stepped forward and said, kill me and spare the rest. Now, where would she get an idea like that? Where would that kind of an idea of dying to save others come from? A 13-year-old girl, where on earth would she get that? From the movies? From news? She got it from her parents, who taught her the truth. Taught her the truth about the love of God for her in Christ and how Christ died that we might live. The most basic fundamental truth of human existence. And we preserve that truth. Paul reminds Timothy that all scripture is inspired and useful for rebuke or correction as well as for training in righteousness. And the scriptures that he's speaking about, when he says all scripture, he's talking about the Old Testament. <laughs> the part of the Bible that we have the most trouble with. And primarily the Torah, the first five books. He says it's inspired. What does that mean that it's God breathed? God breathed into those pages. God breathed into those scrolls. Just like God breathed into the nostrils of the first human, the breath of life. God breathed into our nostrils, the breath of life. God is the animating spirit to life. 
inasmuch as the Bible is inspired, likewise are we. So it doesn't have to be perfect, just like we don't. But we are God-breathed as a race of people. We have the breath of God within us, and every breath we take is a reminder of that initial breath that gives life and that animates us. And the scriptures are inspired. Very human are they as documents. But God is in those scriptures, even as God has inspired us and and empowers us and gives us life. So likewise, the scriptures are our source. That's to say, that is our fundamental document. That's our floor. That's the touchstone. Doesn't go below that. And that it is trustworthy to teach us, to correct us, and and to guide us. I typically don't believe it's the minister's idea to correct you. I think a lot of, it used to be a lot of pastors would do that. They'd, they'd come in and they'd enumerate the sins of the people. And they'd sometimes actually identify people in the congregation and name their sins. We just don't do that anymore. But it's true. The scriptures have the power to do that. So that we might be trained toward righteousness and not be enticed or recruited to evil. And make no mistake about it, the evil are not those people who simply stumble on their humanity. The evil are those people who plot to do evil against others, who conspire. It's like those people who were, who were recruited to worship some dumb calf in the wilderness. They had to be recruited and enticed and told, this is the way to go. It goes on all the time. Our best protection is to preserve the truth in our own hearts and lives and to check it out with one another in fellowship. It's what the church is supposed to be about. What do you think about thus and so? Sooner or later it should be, well, what what does the word say? What does the Bible say? What kind of guidance do we get from the scriptures on this? So we, we check, we, we touch that floor so that we might have a, a fellowship of God's children that is striving just to be on the right side of, not of history, <laughs> but on the right side of God and, and to serve him. So I was brought up in a Christian home I remember giving dad a Bible when he was about 90. And when dad died, that Bible was all beat up, thick and crumpled from being read through. He was reading the Bible every day of his life from a time when he was a kid and one of his, one of his dad's friends told him, he said, Eric, if you read the Bible every day, I'll give you 50 bucks. Well, he never got his 50 bucks. <laughs> But he did read the Bible every day. 
And, and at one time, my own life, when I had what we call a religious experience, and I would simply say, those experiences that you have that you count as those moments of spiritual awakening, that somehow God spoke to you, that somehow there was a, there was a moment, a realization. I had a small one just driving across the alley the other night. I saw the sky, and it was so beautiful. And I thought, Florida is such a beautiful, wonderful place. But then I thought more than that. I thought, it doesn't have to be beautiful. What, what about this world has to be beautiful? And I, I went from those cognitive things to just receiving, just accepting. So I was a kid. I was about 14 years old, and I had a, an experience that I counted as a religious experience, an awakening type of experience. And I went to a camp with, uh, with Young Life. And they gave us Bibles. And uh, this was the Bible. And most of what I read this morning, I have under, underlined in here from when I was a kid. But I would read this, and I thought I could get away with it, because it didn't look like a Bible. So I read it at home. I didn't want dad to think I had done anything that he said. I didn't want to, I, you know, it was like you'd, we define ourselves over against our fathers at a particular time in life. And I, I took it to school. I carried it around with me. And I thought I'd get away with it because it didn't look like a Bible. But as I flipped through this just this week, I saw words that were word, words of life to me when I was a kid. Because I was like many kids at that time. I was foolish, did dumb stuff, went out with my friend's pickup truck with a laundry basket full of water balloons and pelting other cars throughout the streets of Riverside and doing all that crazy stuff. And, but they were words of life to me. And they taught, and they directed, they corrected. And the truth that was there preserved, I was confident, was because this had been breathed into by God. That the Lord was somehow residing in these very pages. And it gave me great hope. Not to be righteous in relation to others, but just so I might not, with my one life, come to the end of my days, having run down a bunch of false pursuits, and realize in my closing moments that I had been given one life to live, and I blew it. Rather, to be in those closing moments and to look through the veil and there see 
the open arms of the Savior awaiting me. That is the truth that we preserve. Will you bow with me in prayer? And Lord, it is such a fundamental reality that it escapes the notice of the vast majority of us. May we never lose sight. May we have simply a, a delightful, humble, humorous awareness that despite how we are, you love us still. And thank you, Lord, that you do. And we pray in Jesus' name. On the night that our Savior was betrayed, when he had given thanks, he took bread and broke it. And offering it to his disciples, he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat and do this remembering me. And in like manner, he took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink you all of this and do this remembering me. For as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we show forth our Lord's death until he comes again and gathers us to himself. Come to the table of our Lord. If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org. If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day.